support. I, I, I love when people come into our Zibli program because we focus a lot on insulin resistance and weight loss. And they're like, well, is there an endpoint? I'm like, no, as this long is, as you're alive, that. you're yeah. living a yeah. lifestyle. It's like, this is a lifestyle. You know, it's not, you can't just like diet or do an exercise program. You have to incorporate it as part of your lifestyle. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reshape Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Nolte, and I'm really excited to introduce you to our guest today. His name is Robert Linkle, and he's the owner of TOA, which stands for trainingtheolderadult.com. And it's a personal training studio and online continuing education provider for fitness professionals. Linkle has his master's degree in personal training. Uh, is the NSCA's 2012 Personal Trainer of the Year Award winner, a 2017 NSCA Fellowship inductee, and was voted onto the 2021 NSCA Board of Directors uh, with a personal training position. Uh, we haven't even really gotten into the interview, and I'm already going to refer my dad to you. Uh, so <laughs> I'm really excited for this conversation. And you have Me such too. a interesting personal story that no one would guess just looking at you. You're kind of like the picture of health today, but you know, we'll get into that. So tell us kind of how you got into this realm of training the older adult and what is your personal story there? Because sure. it's pretty, pretty interesting. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I've been really looking forward to doing this and um, I, I appreciate the opportunity to share with, with you and your community. Uh, I will do my best to keep this. I'm extremely long-winded, so I will do my best to keep everything as short as possible, but long story, maybe not so short. Um, I was an NCAA hammer thrower here in Sacramento and was pursuing the Olympic games in 2008. Uh, I was sponsored by Reebok and um, had had a team behind me that was pushing me. I was very strong, very fit, and uh, I was a 550-pound back squatter and a 600-pound deadlifter, and I was warming up one day with like 200 pounds on my back, and my back blew apart. Uh, L5, S1, and L4, L5, both discs ruptured, and um, my wife had actually snuck me into a, a gym that she was working at that had just remodeled their weight room. And so I was the first person to ever squat in the squat rack and I'm, you know, I'm just warming up and I go down, I feel my back go and I know that I am hurt, but I'm like, you know, to the iron gods, I'm like, I can't drop these brand new plates. So I forced myself oh my up gosh. out of the squat. I racked the bar and I lay down and I was in there maybe 90 minutes before they opened. So I just laid there and she thought he's crushing it. He's been back there for two hours. So members came in and had to help me off the ground. And she's like, Hey, you've hurt your back before go home, relax. You know, three days later, if you have a really serious back injury, um, you start to lose control of, you know, your, your movements, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And that happened and I knew I was in big trouble. So off emergency surgery, you know, had my back fixed and that was pretty much the end of my hammer throwing career. So I started to write about that. Mm -hmm. Um, the next year I was training some clients to climb Mount Shasta. I had trained a guy to do all seven summits and climb Mount Everest. And so I had a bunch of clients. I wrote about that as well. I had a bunch of clients that wanted to go climb. And so I started to train. I was going to go with them. I'd climbed Mount Rainier the year before that. And I uh, thought this would be cool. And two weeks before, we're eating lunch together. And I cough and my hands are covered in blood. And I go to the doctor. And he goes, oh, let's get you an x-ray. Normally, you get an x-ray. And it's a couple of days before they call you or send you the results. I was just going over the overpass, leaving the hospital. And they called and said I had to come back. So mm -hmm. I did a bronchoscopy up my nose and found my left lung uh, full of a carcinoid tumor. I mean, 80% of it. 
So I was scheduled for surgery. And while my team was up climbing Shasta, I had my lung taken out. Mm. Um, I had a rib removed, had my lat severed. It was, it was something. So nine months later, I go in for a checkup and they find uh, another tumor in my thyroid. So I have my thyroid, my parathyroid, all that taken out. Um, so those three years back to back were pretty rough. Yeah. The whole time I wrote about this. And so as I shared those experiences, more older demographic clientele started to come to work with me. And before I knew it, I had, you know, mostly 30 and 40 year old clients to start. Most of my clients were in their 60s. And uh, then other trainers started to come to me to ask me help to, to help them. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to do it. They didn't want to hurt them. So they're like, how do we do this? And I answered that same question so many times. My wife and I made a course and um, TOA was born. And uh, so I had a couple of good years. And a few years later, my hips pretty much wore out and I had arthroscopies on both hips, just kind of cleaned out my, my labrums. And uh, they go, man, you need hip replacement. So 2016, I had both my hips replaced. Left and you're one young. Dislocated. Yeah, I'm 36 at the time. Yeah. 41 now. Um, so left one dislocates a, a day after having it done. Oh, um, no. They relocate it seven times. It pops out, pops back in. Pop. Finally, they go, we got to do a full revision. So I had my entire left hip redone second time. Poor cup placement, basically, where the socket goes. And the next year, I had a hernia repair. The next year, my ligament in my wrist blew out. And I had ganglion cyst and tendon issues and stuff. So, so I've had 14 surgeries. But through all of this, I steal this line from Tony Robbins. Life is not happening to me. It's happening for me. Yep. And that's yep. something that my wife and I, and she's, um, you know, BRCA2, breast cancer, ovarian cancer positive. So she's had uh, surgeries to help deal with that and, and knee issues and other things too. So between the two of us, we've had a lot of opportunities to connect to our demographic, to connect to our clientele to research, we're obsessive, I am specifically obsessive with this and trying to learn as much information as I can to deliver it to my people. And it goes two ways, to my current clientele, about 50 clients that I get to work with weekly. And then I've got about 200 trainers that are in our programs that train with me that all work with older adults. And then we have TOA affiliates. We have nine uh, TOA affiliates across the US that basically their facility mm -hmm. looks like this one. And cool. we send the programming and coach them and do all that. So that's, that's my long short story, if you will. Yeah. Uh, of my background and what got me into working with older people. Yeah. Because you could then relate to them, even though you were in your thirties and forties, you were going Absolutely. through the replacements and all these yeah. surgeries. And, um, I was sharing with you that my dad's having both hips done this year. And so I'm going to refer him to you for some training Happy and, to. um, education because that's so needed. Uh, mm. it's such a life-changing event and, as you experienced, it can go wrong sometimes, you know? And so I think it's good to be prepared. Um, now the topic of today's conversation is really going to be geared towards, um, sarcopenia, uh, which is kind of muscle loss with aging and then osteopenia or low bone mass, which is weak bones. And also, you know, how is training the older adult different than training someone my age or maybe someone middle-aged? I don't consider myself middle-aged yet. Um, <laughs> depends on who you ask. So huh. what is the difference there? What are the primary physio physiological differences between training someone who's younger and then the quote unquote older adults? So yeah, when does that start yeah. exactly? Let's, let's define older adults yeah. as 55 and over. Okay. That's okay. where we'll kind of draw that line. AARP, it used to be 65. Now it's 50. You know, you have geriatrics, you have elderly, you have frail elders. Our industry uses all these different terms. Mm -hmm. I look at basically, if you're, if you're going to look at a chronological aging, we'll call it around 55, 
but I've got some 70 year olds that move like 40 year olds and I've got 40 year olds that move like 70 year olds, right? So biological aging is a big piece of this. How fit, how well have you taken care of your body? That's really what matters. So with the, let's call it the typical older adult, the 55 and over, the greatest concern is the clock's ticking guys. Like you, we don't have time. If you're 30, you can dick around for a decade and still get <laughs> yourself back into great shape and you'll be fine, right? But if you're 60, you can't, we can't waste any time here. So what's gonna start happening is gravity is going to win and we're gonna start losing in, in everybody. You can all envision this, you know, you close your eyes for a second, you can envision the typical old person, the Mr. Burns, small shuffly steps, the round head, the body that can't move, the thoracic bump on that. And so that's our greatest fear. Because when you get like that, we're not fixing you, you're a huge fall risk, quality of life in the crapper, like you are not in, in a good position to enjoy the golden years. Mm -hmm. So we really need to go like, hey, it's, it's time. Um, uh, Peter Atia, Dr. Peter Atia, I absolutely love him. You guys can see him on Joe Rogan. He's got his own podcast, the, uh, I think it's called The Zone. I mean, it's just, he's got this great information that talks about the aging process. And he specifically talks about it's about a 20 year process. If you want to be a stud when you're 70, it's got to start when you're 50. And, and so if the majority of us listening right now are late thirties to early fifties, like this is prime time for you guys really to get it together and set the tone for the greater quality of life coming for you in the second half. Cause if, if you're around 40, you're probably pretty close to middle age, right? Average person's living to 80, 86, somewhere around in there. So we're pretty close. But I want that half to be the best half for you. My 30s were completely wasted. I was a walking hypocrite. I mean, I, I didn't lift weights on consistency. I ate terribly. I was 45 pounds heavier than I am now. Mm. I hid with big clothes. I told everybody else what to do, but I wasn't doing it myself. And it took a pandemic to kick me in the butt to say, dude, you got to get off your ass and start doing these things if these people are going to trust you and believe in you and do what you're doing. Yeah. And Isn't so, that so true? We have to lead by yeah. example, like we have to as and healthcare providers. Yeah. It's hard. You'll, you'll talk to doctors that tell you don't smoke. And then you see them smoking outside when you walk out. Right. And so I was, I was that, and I, I like, I hate that part, but I also had to learn in that experience and know to make this count, you know, you have to be the example as you know. Mm -hmm. So we get back to the question. 55 and up our older adults. What are we focused on now? We got to get you strong. Number one, resistance training is a must. Okay. And this is something that we can dive into pretty deep, but resistance training is a must. And I don't care how you do it. It could be kettlebells. It could be dumbbells. It could be machines. It can be bar class. You got to move load guys. Moving your body weight is not enough. You have to have external load and be, Oh, I do Tai Chi and I play tennis and that's great. That's activity. Okay. But it's not resistance. Gravity is going to beat you. If you don't dense in your bones, dense in your muscle. So the outside load must be there. Outside of that, we're going to look at everything else. Sleep, how often you're sleeping, how much sleep you're getting, quality of sleep, nutrition, hydration, uh, active recoveries in your off days. Technically, our goal is to build you where you can be 60 minutes of activity every day, seven days a week, and maybe three days of those a week, good resistance training programs. So that's at 55 up, I'm kicking you to say, hey, we got to go. Prior to that, I still give the same message, but if things are not, they're not as dire, let's say that that's where we really kind of draw the line is it's go time. Yeah. I like that. And I think that my, one of my questions here is what if someone's coming to you, you know, like my dad is such a good example here and he has been increasingly sedentary 
over the last few years because of hip pain. And he's tried all the conservative things. And it's like, so how are you going to start with someone who is sedentary at 55 to get them to an hour of activity a day? I'm sure some people are dropping their jaw thinking I could never do that. Yeah. So how do you help them do that? Number one, right now is a very unique time because to give you guys a window of sarcopenia, let me start here. Okay. You and I work out, Morgan, we do a workout Mm -hmm. together and we have the pump. We're all swollen and we feel great. That lasts like 24 to 48 hours. Okay. And what I mean by that is like your muscles fill up with blood and you feel good. After about 48 hours, we lose muscle volume. It shrinks by like 2% and basically kind of back to normal. Anything below two and a half percent, you're actually into atrophy. So like your muscle fiber is starting to shrink a little bit. But after about seven to 10 days, the muscle fiber is shrinking and losing intensities, which means you're starting to lose ability. You Mm -hmm. could pick up 50 pounds. Now you can't. You can only pick up 40. That's the difference between atrophy and sarcopenia is now you're losing function. And that function might be, I used to be able to put my arm over my head, but now I can't because for the last 10 years, I've never had a reason to put my arm over my head. So if we know that can happen in as little as 14 days, we just went through a two year for many people, stay at home order, right? And folks that were not exercising it. So sarcopenia is probably at its worst right now than ever. And then you take somebody who has an injury and just went through that. And it's even worse because it hurts. It hurts me to go out and try to do this. So what is the answer to that question? Number one is you have to be proactive with addressing the limitation. In this case, if you get to a point where daily life functions, that's a category of up and down off the floor, up and down stairs, you know, moving about through your day, carrying load, twisting, turning, pushing, pulling, carrying. If you can't do those things and because your, your limitation hurts you that much, you need to proact- be proactive in a, a surgical remedy or something that's going to fix it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not super pro-surgery, but when you're to that point where life yeah. is miserable and it's on your mind constantly, get surgery. Okay? Yeah. Surgeries have like a 96% success rate. And that's, that's great. Take it. So I'd say go for that. Okay? Now, if you, once you get that addressed, we can start to rehabilitate you back. So number one is you got to fix the limitation or try to rehabilitate it in a way that's not aggravating. We have something else called the arthritic grace period. The arthritic grace period is a two to 12 week period in which people with arthritis in a joint, if they start resistance training and just start moving load on a regular basis, you're gonna flare that arthritis up, okay? We have arthritis in our hands, we start to lift weights, they're gonna get aggravated. But if I can manage it, if I can just do enough every day where I get the benefit of resistance and I get a little flare up that I can handle that and I can get between two and 12 weeks, What will happen on the other side of this 97% success rate, I will reduce pain, I will increase quality of life, increase dexterity, you can't heal arthritis, but you can improve it. So if I can either fix the limitation or break through my arthritic pain, my body will start to build calluses, if you will, over the injured areas and start to allow you to do more, be more active, etc. Okay, again, I can talk about stuff forever. But the answer is, we've got we've got to be able to fix that issue and then get you into something that you really want to get into. So I'm saying like, I don't care what resistance it is. It's just got to be something. Okay. And then we go from there. Well, you mentioned something really interesting that piqued my interest. And so I'm sure it piqued others. When we hear sarcopenia, we think older adult and you're saying, no, no, no. It's actually just 14 days or so of inactivity. Yep. So, so nationwide, and this was like 2018 information. So we haven't had enough of a gap from March, 2020 to now, to be able to show usually 
sarcopenia is tested in three-year blocks nationwide. So we were just about to get one and then this happened. And so we yeah. weren't able to get current data, but it's coming, okay? So as of 2018, anywhere between 24 and 54% of our country has sarcopenic issues, meaning they have some type of muscular loss that's uh, affecting their abilities to move like they used to. That isn't just for 50 and over, that's for everybody, okay? And the reason they range it from 24 to 54 was it was males and females and it was older age and younger age. And they couldn't classify if you have just an injury or if you do have pure sarcopenia. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty big gap. But let's just take on the safe end that a quarter of our country has this. And that's on the average age across the board. Yeah, just because we're young and gravity hasn't beat us up yet and we still are pumping testosterone, we're full of estrogen, our bodies are still able to maintain, doesn't mean that we're losing this battle of sarcopenia. Okay, the yeah. curve is going to get us. Babies, we got nothing. We're going to build it up. And right around 18 to 35, that's kind of the peak. And then we're going downhill from there. It's just how steep is it going to be? Yeah. Are you going to drastically drop and your life is miserable? Or is it going to slowly taper off? But that's the decision. Okay. And it doesn't matter the age. This is a constant life effort. And we have to kind of preserve that by the actions we take now. Yeah. A constant life effort. I, I, I love when people come into our Zibli program because we focus a lot on insulin resistance and weight loss. And they're like, well, is there an end point? I'm like, no, as this long is, as you're alive, you're yeah. living a yeah. lifestyle. It's like, this is a lifestyle. You know, it's not, you can't just like diet or do an exercise program. You have to incorporate it as part of your lifestyle. Um, well, so that, I wanted that's to that talk funny saying, ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's that funny saying of, I want to get in shape. And you're like, did we, did we get there yet? It's a constant pursuit. Like you're always going to pursuing this. So yeah, you're right. It's, this is a, this is a life altering opportunity. You're like, this is how I live now. It's not a 12 week, whatever, you know, we're in this, this is permanent. The learning phase may be a 12 week, whatever, or that yeah. kind of grace period for the arthritis may be a 12 week period, but it's a life, it's a lifetime commitment to invest in your health. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the muscle atrophy. So you clarified okay. the sarcopenia a little bit as a muscle loss that results in a loss of function. Whereas the atrophy, which I think is really important to address. Uh, we actually just had a member, uh, ask a question. She's like, after I lift weights, I feel like I'm more swollen. And you just yeah. clearly explain that. Well, yeah, you have increased blood flow to the muscles that goes down after a couple of days, but is that why you recommend strength training kind of three days a week to keep that muscle building phase up and to reduce the amount of time in atrophy? Yes and no. And so the every muscle fiber is different. Like your pecs and your biceps have different striated fibers than your quads and your hamstrings do. So like in the world of bodybuilding, when we want to look our best, and I'm not saying I'm a bodybuilder, but it, the, the person wants to look their best, they'll pump up their upper body, but they don't do anything to their legs because the cross striated fibers of their thighs, when they swell up your muscularity, your muscularity, like your, your veininess and all that, it goes away. But in the arms and the chest, it swells up and looks better. And so that's why many of you will train legs and you're like, I can't get into my jeans. My thighs are getting too big. But if you wait three days, right, all that goes back and then you can fit into your skinny jeans. It's because those fibers swell up with blood a lot. And that's a good thing. It means you're pushing your musculature, but it doesn't mean they're going to stay that big. Where with the arms and the chest, you can do that in like 12 hours later, it's gone. So the consistency mm. and the regular opportunity to train 24 to 48 hours apart is gonna give you your musculature enough time to say, I need damage, good damage, okay? Actin, one side of the muscle, myosin, the other side, they hook together. As they train, they start to tear, they tear, they tear. They tear little microfiber tears. 
And then depending on what kind of stress you put on them, they'll either grow back bigger, that's how we get a bigger muscle, or they'll grow back stronger, like a firmer handshake, and you can just move more load. And that very much so depends on, are you moving really heavy weights, less reps, a lot of rest, or are you moving medium weight, a lot of reps, you're getting stronger, you're getting bigger, one of the two. And by doing that, that damage needs time to be repaired. And if you just go the next day and do it again, you're in a constant tear, 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 you'll mm -hmm. never rebuild. Injury is looming. Mm -hmm. So even though we have this mindset, like I want to work hard and I am committed. And Rob said, don't wait. He's like, get off the shitter, right? We got to go. <laughs> you can't, you, you got to have your recovery days in between to start. Okay. So every 48 hours is great. That gives your body enough time to recover, assuming you're sleeping, eating well, hydrating, all the other things we talked about. If you can get those three days in, really, it's like two days. If you're starting completely green, mm -hmm. you're like Tuesday and Friday. Give me 72 hours in between. Do that for a month. That's your adaptation phase. Get used to moving weights because you're going to be sore. And after a month, then you can bump into three and I'm good there. Some people, if they're athletically inclined, you're playing tennis or golf or doing, you could do a little bit more, but we want to be active every day. And so if you're going out on bike rides, going swimming, walking, rucking, we were talking about earlier yeah. for bone density, which is loaded walking. If you guys can walk, you can ruck. Okay. We have vests, you have backpacks. We have clients that will take their kids Jansport backpack from middle school, put a couple encyclopedias in it, put it on their back. They get 10 extra pounds and they go for their daily walk. And what that does is places extra stress, 10 extra pounds, every single step. Okay. So when I take 10 steps with that extra 10 pounds in my backpack, that's a hundred pounds of pressure that I just put through my body taking those 10 steps. If I'm already walking three miles a day, that's 15,000 steps you just took. That's a lot of extra load mm -hmm. that your body just got to move that basically everything except for your arms got to stress benefit under. So right. when we talk about being active every day, that's what I mean. We don't have to lift weights every day. We just got to be active every day. But I would start with two days, do a month, build it to three, do a month, and then start building in, filling in the gaps with other daily activities that keep you active, gardening, walking, run, running if you're healthy, if you're able, go hiking, get a bike, get a Schwinn, go, go join a class, do whatever, just be active, be active every day. Yep. But prioritize the strength training. I mean, I tell people that all the time that you do not get the same muscular benefits as you, you know, from tennis or walking or whatever, no, as you do nothing. from strength training. Yep. And I love that tip for the rucking because, you know, my dad's getting the hip and the doctor said, you can never run again. You can't do high impact. And I wanted to confirm that with you. And you said, absolutely. That's true. And will you just show people the hip thing that you showed me before we recorded yeah. and explain yeah. why, if you have a total hip, you want to reduce so impact? Yeah. When they do a hip replacement, this little guy, basically the, not to be gross, but you have your femoral head. Okay. That's, mm -hmm. that's like this. And so that comes up um, to your hip here. And then this femoral head is going to go into the acetabular socket and your femur sits like that. And then you have something called the labrum that's in here and it holds it in there. Imagine like a clam, like a muscle clam. And when you try to pry the clam apart, that's what your labrum is. It's like holding that in there. So when they do the hip replacement, most of the time that labrum has been worn away, it's gone. And so the femoral head's just rattling around in here. They cut this off, so that's gone, and they replace it with this guy, okay? Mm -hmm. And they put that in. And then they carve out the acetabular socket and they put in a cup, and then they take the ball, put that on this guy, and then they pop it into that, and that's what holds your leg together. There is no labrum. And so if I am laying down and I'm asleep and my kids come over and grab my leg and pull on it, my leg will dislocate. Like the only thing holding my leg together when I'm standing up is gravity. Number one, this pushing in there and all the muscle I have around it. 
the clam is gone. That all that mm -hmm. muscle and that tension from the labrum, it's all gone. So if I'm going to use this guy and I've got titanium or hopefully not tungsten, some of you guys, if you have tungsten or if you have cobalt, I strongly encourage you to go back to your doctor and talk about this because there's massive health issues that come about from this, like massive, severe. I'm, I don't mean to scare mm -hmm. you, but it's big, big time. So tungsten or cobalt, go check and make sure you're okay because people are getting metal poisoning, cobalt poisoning, tungsten poisoning. Because this, if you're doing spin class, is grinding away oh. and they're getting shaves of this into their body. It's super bad news. So this Heavy needs to be stainless poisoning. steel. Yeah. yeah, stainless steel or titanium is what you need. And once that's in there, these, these guys are plastic. They're really hard plastic, but the cup and the rod that go down, those are both titanium or stainless steel and they'll last forever. This guy is what's going to wear away. Hmm. So if I'm, if I'm walking, this is easy and it's a piece of cake. But if I'm running, it's getting this slam, slam, slam. It's getting bashed in there and something's going to break or wear away real quick. Okay. So you can run. You can jump. It's just your 20-year hip is going to last you three if you right. do that all the time. Right. And, and that's kind of where that loaded walking comes in that you were talking yeah. about. Um, I you wanna... can stress oh, your body, okay. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. You said you can stress your body. Yeah, you can stress your body, not to the point of like a VO2 max of sprinting uphill, but you can work pretty hard, okay? You can take 10 to 15% of your body weight, which for me would be 20 to 35 pounds, okay? And if you go find hills, I can max out pretty close on some VO2s just from trucking it uphill. But how much impact am I putting through my hip when I walk uphill and my foot goes just above a level, I'm getting an inch or two of impact. Okay, versus when we run or run downhill, you're getting 12 inches of impact plus your body weight times three, right? I mean, it's just so much more damaging to run. And if you're healthy, it's fine, but you are wearing out stuff. This gives us kind of a way to like, I still want to push and feel athletic, but not destroy my new parts and benefit the rest of my body. Rucking is like the missing link. This, once we implemented this, we've had such great results with so many of our people. It's, it's the thing I wish I knew about 20 years ago. We would have done this a long time ago. Yeah. And we haven't talked about that on the podcast. And so I'm, I'm really excited for that. Um, I wanted to sw switch conversations to my mom, yeah. um, who after harping on for many, many years is now consistent with exercise and she is strength training a couple of times a week. Um, awesome. but one of her biggest, um, resistance factors was she didn't want to get bulky, bless her heart. And so you kind of talk about, you said it depends on the, um, load that we're doing and the number of reps that we're doing on, if we're going to build bigger muscle or build stronger muscle. And my question to you is first of all, let's start there, but then I want you to ask, I want, I want you to answer if you're building bigger muscle, are you, I would assume you're also building stronger muscle. Typically. Right. Yeah. So, so talk me through to answer, that. To answer mom's concern, mm -hmm. there is no chance that you are going to get bulky. Zero chance. You have no testosterone, unless you're juicing, unless you're rubbing HGH <laughs> all over your body. My mom's okay? not juicing. Yeah. Mom, if mom's not shooting up and on gear, yeah, I, I think we're okay. Mom's not juicing. You have zero concern about getting bulky. Okay. Technically, yes. When, if, if you have a plant that is unwatered and you water it, it will grow. Okay. And, and the same can be said for muscle. If muscle has not been trained, if you just start to train it, it will grow a little bit. So yes, you might not have traps and all of a sudden after a year, you've got some traps, but it doesn't mean that they're going to keep growing until your neck is gone. It just means that the stimulus to that muscle has shown a result. Like, and the plant is a great example because at, at some point 
your mock orange plant just stops at six feet. It doesn't keep going and going. It just stops. And it's like, that's my max potential. That's what you will become. Now, if you exceed something along those, like you're pursuing bodybuilding or something like that, nutrition and then just massive amounts of protein and everything and your amino acids and everything else you put in would help you with that. But if you're just eating a normal, pretty clean diet and you're exercising two to three days a week with resistance and you're staying active the other days, zero concern you were going to get bulky. Okay. Yep. But to, to answer the question on which is which, if I'm lifting, you know, five to eight reps with a load that won't allow me to do more than five to eight reps, because it's so heavy, I am going to do more tearing of the fiber that is going to require that fiber to grow back with more fibrage. Okay. And that's how you get bigger. That's how you go from an 11 inch bicep to a 13, to a 16, to an Arnold 24 inch, you know, Python. Like you eventually get these huge, <laughs> because, because you're lifting such heavy amounts of load and you're tearing it and it's rebuilding. But if you're using, you know, a, a moderate amount, I'm not going to say light, but a moderate amount of load, let's say on a one to 10, like a five or a six, and you can do 10 to 15 reps and you get a pretty good burn from that. And you can rest about 30 seconds and then do it again and then rest about 30 seconds and do it again. Your, your binding site isn't going to tear really bad. It's just going to learn to bind harder. And next thing you know, those tens become 12 and a halfs and those 12 and a halfs become 15s and those 15s become 17s. And then eventually you can curl 20s and you're like, yeah, but my 11 inch arms are still 11 inches or maybe they're 11 and a half, but they didn't get huge, but you just got a hell of a lot stronger. Okay. Right. So the binding site is really the key to this. So if we're going to prescribe volume that you don't want to get big, let's say three to four sets, anywhere between 10 and 15 reps. This is very, very ballpark. And, and really, you can't do any more than 15. We're in a pretty good shape. Yeah. And that's but the important the, part. You can't yeah. do more than 15. Yeah. Like if you just go 15, I'm done. And you could have done 15 more. It's way too light. Okay. Yeah. yeah you want to get to 15 and be like, I don't think I could do another one. But that also brings us to another um, stigma, if you will, of older adults shouldn't lift heavier weights. Let me kill that one for you right away. Who has been on this earth longer, younger or older, who's had more exposure to gravity, younger or older, whose bodies are withering. And so if I'm going through that list, younger and older and saying who needs resistance training more, who should be lifting heavier weights more, it's the older people, right? Mm -hmm. But everybody says, oh, you're old, don't lift anything heavy. It's the exact opposite. It's build your body up to the point where you can lift heavier, right? And I don't mean hundreds of pounds. I just mean 50, 60 pounds. You should be able to deadlift off the ground. Like we should be able to move loads that you are going to see on your daily basis around the house comfortably, right? Yeah. How about your body weight? I mean, I think I there's a lot love, of people, yeah. yeah, that can't even yep. stand up from a chair. They can't even lift the load of their um, own body. Yeah, their own load. But in addition to, I have a lady that's 81 who weighs 155 pounds and can deadlift 155 pounds 10 times. Like that, that's what she's really good at. Susan's a stud. Okay. That's awesome. And, and like, oh, do we all have to be like that? No, she's just exceptional at doing this lift. But it, the cool part is she could pick her own body weight up at least once. Like, how many of us can do that in this country? About 15%, one five. Mm -hmm. So that's not a lot of people. Okay. And that's across the board. Yeah. So if you weigh 150 pounds, can you pick up 150 pounds? Like there's a not, not a lot. Hopefully more of you are nodding. <laughs> yes. The no right now, but that could be a goal for you is like, I need to be able to manipulate my body load. Okay. And move my body around in life, but literally be able to lift up my own body weight would be a great goal. Deadlifts yeah. are going to pretty much help with everything guys. Okay. And, and one more point, I know I'm ranting, but one more point. I love rants. I love them. Okay? Yeah. 
name one fitness goal for me, any of them, fat loss, sports performance, strength gain. Uh, I'm getting ready for a high school reunion, whatever it is, right? You name it. If you include resistance training or you don't, which one's more likely to get done and be more successful sooner than including the resistance training, right? And so we call resistance training the linchpin because it's the piece that if you include it, name the goal, I'll get there quicker. I'll achieve it sooner. I'll be better than if I don't. If you just sleep well, eat well, nutrition, and you diet your way into losing body fat, great. But if I included resistance training in there, I probably would have achieved that goal in half the amount of time. I mean, it's that vitally important. There's cognitive research to resistance training. There's emotional, affective, trust, value, connection. Okay. There's more value to that in resistance training. There's cardiovascular benefits big time in resistance training. And then your bone density and your sarcopenia. Again, I can go on about this forever, oh, but I love there it. isn't really yeah. a negative to it, guys. As long as you're doing it right, there isn't really a negative to it. There's not. And it's so efficient. I really got into strength training after I had my son who would start crying. Like the nursery could only take care of him for so long at the gym before they got fed up with him. And they came up to get me from my workout. And I'm like, I have 20 minutes. I am not able to run my normal three miles or whatever I would want to do. And so that's really the impetus that made me switch to strength training because it was a more effective time, efficient workout. And I think that people, um, don't recognize that minute for minute. I mean, Dr. Bickman says this in his book, I think why we get sick, uh, minute for minute strength training, uh, helps reverse insulin resistance more than aerobic mm. training. Mm. And I, I agree. yeah, I mean, it's, you know, your muscles are reserved for the glucose. And so when you eat, especially like a high carb meal, the more muscle mass you have, the more room for glucose deposit you have before it goes to your fat. And so you know, people with more muscle mass can eat a higher carbohydrate diet and still maintain their weight easily. So for me, it's also, there's just so many metabolic benefits, not even functional benefits, but it helps keep insulin down to reduce your risk of chronic disease. Um, so I love what you're talking about here. And I was doing some math while you were talking. I uh -huh. don't know what I deadlift. That one's not my favorite, but I did squat. I squatted 165 yesterday and I did it five times. Like yeah. a back squat, a back squat, but it was on a Smith machine. So it was a little bit more okay. stable of a squat. Okay. Um, what is your body weight? 140 ish. Okay. So you okay? by far, by far have exceeded your ability to back squat your body weight, even in a Smith machine, because it's, okay. it is guided. It's still going to give you, you've still produced enough strength to be able to lower and raise a bar with your body load on it. And mm -hmm. if you did sets of five, that means you can definitely do 140 for probably eight to 10 reps, I would guess. That makes me feel good. And then I'm benching plates, which I'm like super pumped about because I did that as a junior in high school. Uh, wow. and there was like a guy in the gym who just like fell over backwards because a girl benched plates. And I'm like, I can do it now. And I'm, you know, way so older. Like a 45 on each side? 45 on each side plus the bar. So you're benching, so you're benching your body weight. That's yeah. awesome. I know. So I got it. I, I, I got guarantee it. You can deadlift your body weight hundred percent. I'll try it. I'll try the it. Deadlift is easier in most cases than the back squat. So if you're back squatting it, you could pull it off the floor, no problem. You know, what's so interesting to me though. And I think we should talk about this regarding like what our own dietary patterns are and like what our own habits is randomly last summer. I was like, I'm going to try to bulk up. Like I'm a pretty lean person and I do lift weights two to three times a week. And I do some high intensity interval training. Um, and I've really been able to improve my body composition after two kids, even compared to what it was in high school with relatively minimal effort, because 
I'm kind of focusing on the right things finally. And I was so surprised at how slow the process was for me to like bulk up. And I, it was really surprised at like the volume of food that the food tracking app I was using wanted me to eat. And I thought, wow, this is how my clients feel sometimes. So it, it can be very frustrating. Yeah. Speak to that. Yeah. Speak to that. The people that they do want to actually build muscle mass and gain mass from muscle. Cause I have a, a client right now that I'm thinking of, and she's just done so well. Um, and she's at about 130. And now she's like, I want to build muscle. I actually want to gain some muscle mass here. So what would you recommend for her? Well, right before I go into that, just you had mentioned when you said you were pregnant, you had like 20 minutes. We actually have a program that's called EOD 20, which stands for every other day, 20 minutes. And that's like our basic of if you can just resistance train, I don't care what it is, just do something every other day for 20 minutes. That's the baseline start of like, I just got to get this in. So yep. I just want to throw that I out love you that. Guys. Thank you. Yeah. You get your ideas and that's good. Okay. So without seeing all of you, basically I'm judging this based off of your shoulders and your traps of what I can see from you. Okay. I'll give you and like that, a little, I'm pretty strong. There you go. go. Okay. So, so it's, it's difficult to see, but you'll take somebody that you have three different types of body types typically. And, and this is very general speaking, it, things are much more specific. I can see you in person, this and that, okay? You have somebody that's built really lean. They're, they're long, they're lean. They don't carry a lot of muscle. And typically this is called an ectomorph. And this individual can produce muscular effort at like a medium to low intensity over and over again forever. They're usually really well endured. So think of your cyclist, like an Lance Armstrong kind of body your runners, right? Uh, distance runners, mountaineers, like you're not going to see a lot of big bulk on them because that muscle will fatigue, right? So the ectomorph, you might have that frame. You might be saying, yeah, that's me. Your shoulders are small. Your shoulder to hip ratio is basically kind of the same, right? Um, you're, you're a little, you have a curve to you, but it's just really narrow. So that's an ectomorph. You guys are going to struggle big time putting on weight, no matter what. Mm -hmm. You have to eat a lot of food, you have to train often and probably harder than the average person will, okay? Then on the other end of that, you have the endomorph. And the endomorph is me, big fat guy, okay? <laughs> I can put on weight super easy. I'm 240 right now. If you said by midnight tomorrow night, I want you to be 255, I could do that. Oh I my gosh. Eat, I could eat 15 pounds of load and carry it into a day and a half. I mm -hmm. could do that, no problem. But if I'm 255 and you're like, in two days, I need you to be 240, no way. I need a week or two weeks to like deplete that off of to me, cut okay? that down. Yeah. Yeah. Fat loss for endomorphs, not easy. We struggle big time, but we can put on mass pretty good. Um, we don't need to eat a whole lot. Training our response is pretty good. Body will build and tear in fiber pretty well. And then you have the perfect picture, which I, I think looking at you, I think you're probably the mesomorph. Okay? I think I'm in the middle. Yep. Yeah. A mesomorph. And there is something as a ectomeso, like there's one in the middle of that. And then there's a mech meso endo there's one mm -hmm. in the middle of that but basically you have your ectos really skinny well endured your endos bigger you know can move more load but not a whole lot of endurance and then you have your mesomorphs mesomorph think of all your crossfit athletes they're kind mm -hmm. of the mecca of i'm as conditioned as i can be and i'm as strong as i can be and i can kind of meet that in the middle that is the mesomorph now of the conditioned crossfit athletes you'll see ones that are more endo and more ecto of course it's the, the strategy of training that they've put in that has helped them build that frame. 
but they've kind of peaked the two abilities. Are you more endurance or more strength? And they found the best of both of those. But if they stopped doing one and just focused on the other, obviously that would increase. They could improve their endurance if they yeah. didn't lift as often or vice versa. Okay. Yeah. So first thing to answer the question again, very long-winded is to find out what frame you are. What are you? Are you an ecto, endo, or a meso? Mm -hmm. And then not to get too deep into it, but this can even come all the way down to your blood type of what type of food you should be putting in, how often. Some people are built to fast and they should be taking 12 hours and they should be fasting when they train. Others should not. Some people are, should be doing high uh, protein and high fat and minimal carb because the carb feeds how hot their body runs all the time. You can see I'm already red, just pumped up talking to you right here. I run hot all the time. Mm -hmm. So based on that and different blood types, you have different types of food that will help cool you, but they will also help your body regenerate and rebuild. So there's, there's a lot to this to try to figure out how often should I be eating? What should I be eating? And then what type of program should I get into? If you're an endomorph and you start a program that's for powerlifting, you're going to get bigger. But if you're an ectomorph and you do that, you might get a little bit bigger, but probably not. Your frame is just not built for it. And then if you're not eating enough calories to help that, you're definitely not going to gain weight. So this is where a expert comes in and I'm not saying it needs to be me guys. It, it could be anybody mm -hmm. find somebody that knows how to take you through this process, figure out who and what you are as far as a, a body type goes, and then match a program to you based on what you're pursuing. But again, if you're 40 and up and you want to get bigger, it's going to be really hard. It, it, you can definitely get fit and lean out and get cut, but bulking and building muscle, like you said, it's extremely difficult and you have to be, I'll, I'll say extremely consistent and you have to push yourself to discomfort every day. And that's mm -hmm. the thing. People don't like getting uncomfortable and, and it's not pain. It's just, it's uncomfortable. And every day you do that and you're like, I just, man, that was rough. That was uncomfortable. <laughs> you're going to make changes then. But if you're not pushing yourself, if you're not getting uncomfortable, probably going to see the same thing in the mirror every day. So yeah. That's there's a, a lot answer. to that answer. Yeah. Well, there is. And I think that breaking down the body, the body types was helpful because I think we compare ourselves so often to other people Well, I'm sure. killing myself at the gym and I'm working out harder than these other people. And my progress is so much slower. Well, you might be an endomorph. You might have that body type that just holds on to weight a little bit more, um, or vice versa. Like I have the, the specific woman that I'm talking about, the 130, she wants to bulk up she's probably an ectomorph, you know, she's really worked on those endurance activities. And so just to have that understanding that it's going to be a little bit more challenging for me to build muscle, or it's going to be a little bit more challenging for me to cut weight, I think can help people have a little bit more grace and patience with themselves, um, on that front. Completely right. Yeah. My, so my wife okay. will come to me and like, show me a picture of someone. And she's like, why can't my legs look like this? I'm like, you're five, nine. She's four, nine, <laughs> like, like she's very, very <laughs> tiny and she's a power lifter. Like that's why her legs look like that. She's put 20 years into this and mm -hmm. you're an endurance runner. Right. But she's also looking at you going like, why can't I run a mile in seven minutes? Right. And right. you can do that 26 times. And so it's like that kind of thing is you, you got to go with what your body is kind of built for. Like, I'd love to look like Schwarzenegger did in the eighties, but my body frame won't do that, you know, but others can right? Mm -hmm. There's going to be things that your body is built to do well. And a lot of times you guys don't even know it, right? Like I, I can put on really good size, but you might be someone who can move a pretty good amount of weight over and over and over again. And you'd be get a great, you know, muscular endurance athlete. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, you might be able to run or walk or rock for miles and your body can just handle that. 
you know, that's, that's part of the fun is figuring out what body type you are, but that can also kind of help you narrow down things that you're really good at and give you something that you didn't even know you had. I'm kind I mean, of thinking of like athletes. a football team, you know, and like the variety yeah. of body types on a football team. All different positions from the kicker yeah. to the wide receiver to the lineman. You've got all three different ones there for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were going to say something, I think, before the football comment. Yeah. I was just thinking like um, we look at some of our clients and they could be in their 60s or 70s. Right. And if if you if you come in to a doctor and you're like, Doc, I got a bum shoulder. I'm 65 doctor will go, Hey, let's get you to the point where your shoulder doesn't hurt anymore. I want you to go to PT. Well, PT up your shoulder doesn't hurt anymore. Cool. I could look at you and say, I see an athlete in there and I want to get you to a point where, yeah, your shoulder doesn't hurt anymore, but you can do so much more than you think you can. And even at 65, you might figure out you're a great endurance runner. You might figure out you like paddleboard. You might figure out you like tennis, right? Like finding something that your body can excel at. It gives us a reason to do all the uncomfortable stuff. Cause you're like, I freaking love tennis. I'm, I'm enjoying this so much, but I started at 65 and you guys can find stories like this all yeah. over the place. Right. Yeah. And especially the senior Olympics. Like we go to the track and field mm-hmm. senior Olympics every year. So much fun. Okay. So much fun to see people. And they're like, set a new world record at 81. And they're like, when did he start running? And they're like 79. That's and you're like two years. The guy's been doing this for two years. And then you find out they were 250 pounds. They lost a hundred pounds and they, you know, they got down to their healthy BMI and they just set a world record for the 80 to 85 year olds. Like that kind of thing, guys, we're all athletes. We all have an athletic ability inside us. You just need to train it to get there and find what you're into. Right. And, and it, it doesn't have to be at a high level. It can just be done recreationally for fun. Mm-hmm. But that gives you the purpose to train, the purpose to go out and do things. It's just like anything else. So wanting to retire at a certain age and, you know, go to college when you're young, like you have these goals and these intentions that you want to train for. This can be a big part of it. So if you're yeah. feeling stuck and you're like, am I having a midlife crisis? Like, you know, we get to those <laughs> parts where like, I need to spice things up. You don't need a new haircut. Don't go buy a Miata. Like you don't need something to look for this new change that you can have in yourself and try to go find this, get, hire your person, figure out who you are, what you are, you know, body type wise, and make that change. And once you get there, like we talked about, it's, it's not a little thing that you're just going to start and you'll end. This is your new life effort, right? Mm-hmm. And you'll love it. You'll love the new you. I mean, it's, it's, you've seen this with your muscle change. You've had, we were talking about it a little bit before we went on. And once you're like, this is permanent now, I'm not going back. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't want to wear my fat jeans anymore. Like yeah. this is me. And I'm going to do everything I can to maintain this because you fall in love with that new effort you put in and you want to keep doing this again, I'm ranting, but. Well, it's so much easier to maintain because there is evidence too, that extended aerobic exercise can increase your appetite, can increase hunger hormones. And I don't feel that with strength training. So if I do a heavy aerobic exercise, I might get hungry half an hour later. Um, but I don't recognize that as much with strength training, but there's one more question I wanted to, um, well, and met muscles more metabolically, uh, active, you know, so it's just so much easier to maintain my lean weight with strength training than it is without. But my last question that I at least had for you was to talk about how to optimize the hormones that we have. You mentioned sleep, I think is really important to touch on. We have declining estrogen. We have declining testosterone and growth hormone as we age, which makes bulking up, which makes building muscle harder. Um, if not impossible, obviously to get bulky, but we can get strong. So what do you tell your clients to do to maximize the hormones that they have? It's a tough 
question to answer because again, without knowing your body type, all that kind of thing, that's definitely some homework you have to do first. But there, there are different strategies of folks that like to eat a little bit consistently all day or people that want their three square meals every eight hours apart, whatever. My, my big message in this is to make sure whatever you're eating, it's as unprocessed as possible. And I think that's going to be a big key to you maximizing whatever system and whatever goal you're pursuing is the fuel you're putting in is as clean as you can make it. Okay. If you're whole food, plant-based, awesome. If you're eating meat, make it the cleanest, healthiest meat. Even if you're hunting it yourself is probably one of the best versions of it, but the less processed food I think is going to help your body run more naturally and to maximize the hormonal systems that you have. You are definitely going to have hormonal, hormonal responses to your resistance training. And you will feel that you'll, you'll feel it immediately upon starting and you'll feel it on a regular basis. Like the, the runner's high, there is a lifter's high kind of experience that you get mm -hmm. where your body starts to create these responses to you challenging itself with load, just like when you're running. So without being able to give really specific answers, I think what you're putting in your body is the most important thing to fuel the system. And then sleep was such a, a big issue for me when I was younger and when I first started in the industry, I was just working constantly and I, I was just like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. It was one of those yeah. mentalities. And it's like, that is such an important part to this. If you're gonna work hard and play hard and push yourself with this, you've got to recover on the other side. And it's not just your musculature and your bonies that are, that are recovering. Like it is your neurological system. It's your hormonal system. Like all that needs that time to recover. All of this, you can definitely speak to a lot more than I can, but you've got to look at all the pieces of the pie and resistance training and fitness is a piece of it, but so is hydration. So is the food that you're putting in. So is the sleep and any other recovery techniques that you're doing, acupressure, acupuncture, massage therapy, physical therapy, ice, cold, hot water treatment, sauna, floating, like whatever, you know, whatever it is that you're doing to help yourself. When you find one of those strategies that assist you dive into that and keep going and, and, and that will help your body you know, the 360 approach, it's all of these things. We can be great in one area and you're shooting yourself in the foot on the other because you're not sleeping enough or you're not eating properly. You're not gonna train your way out of a bad diet. You're not gonna train your way out of an unrecovered and unrested body. You know, these are all big pieces to it. So I, I think I would defer that answer to you. That would be the small piece that I would contribute to it. Yeah. You could definitely speak to it better than I could. I was just thinking that your growth hormone really spikes when you sleep. And so missing out on sleep, you're missing out on the hormonal bursts and the rejuvenating bursts that we get, that we get with sleep. Um, but then also just kind of recharging that willpower, you know, on chronic sleep deprivation, we don't necessarily feel like making the healthiest choices all the time. And so I think sleep kind of recharges that willpower battery, if you will, that we have more mental clarity and focus. I read a book this week. It was really good called essentialism. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend. And he talks about the importance of sleep. And there was a, a study that he quoted in there that, um, pulling an all nighter. So think of a new parent, think of me <laughs> building my like third website. And I'm like, ah, oh, it has to be done. I'm going to stay up all night and do this. Well, that gives you the mental clarity or like decision-making process, whatever you want to call it of a BAC, a blood alcohol content level of 0.1. Oh, um, wow. yeah. So one all nighter equals a blood alcohol level cognitive capacity of 0.1. And then wow. that's the equivalent of seven nights of like four to six hours of sleep or like four to five hours of sleep. So the people that are like 
I'll sleep when I'm dead. What they're not realizing is they're not, they're really kicking themselves in the foot for their cognitive health and for their physical health. Um, and so I really wanted to just highlight the importance of rest and recovery. And one of my favorite ways to do this, um, my top strength is achiever. So resting is actually pretty hard for me to do, um, especially, especially mental rest. So I've reframed it in my mind and I say, I'm exercising my parasympathetic nervous system. Um, yeah. So our gym has this, uh, hydro massage table and Mm -hmm. I pay for the premium membership. It's not that much, but I pay for it. And they have like this red light thing. And so at the end of my workouts, I'll go lay down for 10 minutes in the hydro massage table and quote unquote, exercise my parasympathetic nervous system. So, so I lay in this it. thing. It's like, it's kind of like a bag shield you yeah. lay on and it shoots the water into it does. you, right? And it yeah. does the red and blue light treatment while you're going? It doesn't. It that's those, a separate, or... the, that's oh, like okay. a vibrating plate. Then the red lights like surrounding okay. me. And so it's like, the, you know, and it vibrates yep. and it's just kind of a fun thing, but, um, I've really come to appreciate rest and appreciate, um, giving my body a break to repair itself. So I think that there's something to be said there too, that too much of a good thing is not always a good thing. That's what I want to ask you. So do you, as an example, using myself, I hate to do this, but give me an example. Yeah. If I can sleep for six to seven hours, I'm golden. But if I do like nine or 10, my body hurts the next day. So do you have like a window where you're like, I, it's got to be in here. If I'm under four, I'm screwed. But if I'm over whatever, do you feel like I'm groggy? I feel like I took NyQuil if I sleep too much. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just, I can't think clear. I just can't get my body up and going. But you get that six to seven, that's right in my window. Do you have kind of a, a range like that where you've Me noticed? Me personally, um, yeah. seven to eight, I can't, I physically... I don't even know the last time I slept more than actually I do. There was one time where I think I slept for 11 hours straight. And I think it was just because I was so tired because my kids were up and I don't, I don't understand. I don't, maybe they weren't in the house. I don't remember, but there was one time in the last several years, I slept longer than seven to eight hours, but that's my sweet spot. And I have found that consistent bedtime, consistent wake time helps, but we've just been in survival mode. We have like an almost four-year-old and an almost two-year-old. And so, and it's been COVID, you know, and so it's just been hard. We have not had great sleepers for children and they're finally working themselves out of that. And, um, we're finally just ignoring them at night when they're crying now. Oh, go back to bed. I'll get you in the morning. Yeah. Broken sleep is the worst. Like you can still get six hours, but it's broken up over nine, you know, and that's, you're not well rested from that either, you know? Yeah. So I'm coming out of it. So for me, seven to eight hours is, I feel better with eight. I don't ever sleep really more than that. So I don't have anything to compare that to less than six. I'm kind of mean, you know, just kind of mean. How about this? Do you, do you have a time where you sleep and you're in the same position all night? Like I remember (laughs) in high school, I would pop in bed and it would be, you know, double days in football. And I would wake up eight hours later and the bed was pristine and I was just stuck in the same (laughs) spot. I fell asleep in. Like rarely can I do that. There's enough tossing and turning and discomfort all that breaks up your sleep too. So like how comfortable your bed is, your pillows, your, with my hips, my knees can't be together. I have to have a pillow between, you know, you've got to learn your system that really helps you sleep efficiently. 
do you need to be cooler and have one of those beds that blows the cold air on you, but your husband likes it warmer. So he wants this side, you know, and you, the beds that adjust and the firmness, like all that. We have so many cool things now that can help you maximize this, right? Yeah, that's true. You yeah. see how important sleep is. I say, take advantage of those things and yeah. like find a way to make it your best. And for you know? me, the blue light blockers help so much that amber colored blue light blockers, I put them on, um, probably like an hour before bed or after sunset. And, um, my husband made so much fun of me. He's like, those are so nerdy. And I'm like, I don't care because they help me. And now he wears them too, but I do. And he won't put them on until like, I don't know, half an hour before bed. Cause if he does, he knows he's going to get too tired to watch our TV show because <laughs> <Gotcha>. <laughs> they work too well for him. So anywho, if you haven't, if someone's like listening or watching and they're struggling with sleep and you're not already wearing, I like the spectra 479 ones, I think is what they're called. Mm-hmm. Um, something like that spectra and they're Amber and they're just fantastic to help with sleep. And you can also do, um, I have the nighttime app uh, or the nighttime yeah. option on my phone where at like four o'clock, it switches my blue light, my screen off that blue light. It does the yellow illumination. Yep. And I know that it's not as good as those glasses, but it definitely helps. It contributes it does. to that quite a bit. And I put that on all day. So like all of my devices all day are always on night shift. Um, so that's a tip. So anyways, Rob, this has been a lot of fun. We could probably talk a long time. I could Um, talk forever. So (laughs) I would love to come back. If you guys had anything, you were like, let's hear more about that or anything in the future. It would be my absolute pleasure to come back. Um, I think you're fantastic and I love what you're doing and all the content that you put out. I've been able to dive into the last couple of weeks since getting to know you and, and have you asked me to come on here. And I really appreciate it. Everybody watching, thank you for spending some time with me and giving me an opportunity to share with you. If there's anything I can do for any of you, please let me know. Reach out. I'd be happy to help. Yeah. So and how can they get a hold of you? Um, I'm on Instagram, just my name, Robert Linkle, Instagram, same on Facebook, uh, YouTube. I've got a ton of stuff on there, 200 something videos. And I've got a bunch of rants and everything else. Uh, you can hear me ramble on more and more. But yeah, Instagram is trainingtheolderadult.com. Awesome. And you know, he's good if I'm sending my dad there. So that's just kind of my little plug. Um, thank you so much. And I might take you up on that offer to bring you back on for a more targeted conversation. I would love to. I, would love um, I hope you guys enjoyed this interview today and be sure to check out Rob and all the resources in the show notes. Thanks again.